In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the True Life Podcast. I am so enamored by all these people, David, being like, more David Solomon, more David Solomon. They're blowing up my channel. And ladies and gentlemen, we're reunited and it feels so good. <laughs> we're back, Dr. David Solomon. I'm so happy you're here. How are things going? For those who may not know you, I don't know who this would be. But would you be so kind to just to remind the people of who you are and what you do? Sure. So thanks, George. Thanks for having me back. Good to see you again. Um, I am um, currently the Director of Undergraduate Research and Creative Activity at Christopher Newport University in Newport News, Virginia. I've been a um, professor of medieval literature, religion, and culture for about 30 years. Um, written a, a couple of books, and my most recent book is on the seven deadly sins. And uh, preparing for the end of the the academic year here, so things are <laughs> things are busy. It is an incredible time of year for a lot of reasons. In your in your uh, blog, my two cents, you know, you wrote down this one line that I thought we could just start here and you could begin unpacking this. Is this the unusual tradition of referring to graduation as commencement? What's going on there? Yeah, well, I mean, we refer to it as commencement. It always seems weird because people think about commencements as being beginnings, not endings. And commencement usually, you know, commemorates the end of of uh, high school or the end of college. And, um, you know, it it actually has a long tradition. I mean, the word comes from, from the Middle Ages and the idea that you would sit with the, the professors at the end of the year when you were finally sort of allowed to to join them as as peers um, but it is a, a big uh, a big moment of change for people. Um, you know, I mean, students are uh, experiencing a, a great deal of change at commencement. There's a, a combination of of joy, of of completion, and achieving something and receiving a degree. And there's also um, sadness in in leaving uh, the institution, right? Leaving leaving the mother alma mater. Mm -hmm. Um, that they've come to uh, to know and, and love and feel safe at. 
and going out into the uh, the big bad world, um, which you know seems to be bigger and, and badder in some ways these days and and more hostile. And um, I think that that today's students, 21, 22 year olds who are graduating, have a, a, a lot to uh, to deal with in the, in the coming years. And uh, I just hope I hope they're prepared for it. Yeah. Well, ready or not, here it comes. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's exactly <laughs> right. Uh, it's exactly right. But I, I, I mean, you know, we, we're dealing with this is our really our first class that we are graduating that really went through the whole COVID mm -hmm. thing. Um, you know, last year we graduated a class that had 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 it for part of the time, but this class experienced the full the full two years of craziness with COVID, and um, it's it's interesting to look back on it and think about things that they missed and the ways that their experiences were different and um, how they adapted. Uh, I do believe that this is a, a fairly resilient group when it comes to that. But I do have some concerns about, um, you know, lack of preparation for certain things that they're going to have to deal with. I mean, we, we've been talking for years, really, since since uh, we've come out of COVID, and I, I, I hesitate to say that, but um, about the 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 effect that this is having on on kids, and I count college kids in that in that group. Um, and it's an effect that we're going to feel in education for quite some time. Um, they are, I mean, the, the test scores are already showing they're underprepared. Mm. Um, the level of remediation that's needed is, uh, is much higher than it's been before. And a lot of, um, at, at least certainly a lot of higher ed institutions, um, are unprepared for that because they really had no remediation systems in place. Um, so when you've got students who are coming in and as freshmen and uh, really need some serious remedial help in, in, let's say, math, and you haven't had to do that before, you really don't have anything put in place to deal with that. And so we noticed uh, in the last year, year and a half, that the number of students who had um, been been on academic probation because of, of low grades was uh, was quite high. Um, because they are struggling. So, I mean, you know, and that's only one part of it, right? I mean, they're struggling academically, struggling intellectually, mm -hmm. but the struggling, the personal struggles, the social struggles are a whole other, whole other concern. And um, that is the part that um, really concerns me because we don't deal with that well historically um we have become a, a, a we're living in a culture when we tend to i, I want to find the right word here we tend to acquiesce and accommodate for everything and um you know i was talking to a colleague of mine yesterday and we were talking about the fact that we, we were we were when we were in college we experienced you know depression and anxiety and no one knew. We never told anybody. Um, these kids are an open book. You hear it all. Um, now, part of that is social media. And part of that is the, the, the whole different concept of what privacy means to these kids, to this generation. 
Um, but the, the the problem is, I think, and and I'm I'm ready for blowback from anybody who wants to argue with me about this because I'm not comfortable saying it. But we have, um, I think, we have swung the pendulum too far to the other side of 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 accommodating. Um, we've gone from you know no accommodations to now over accommodating, and the problem is for old guys like me, when these kids graduate and they go out into the, the quote-unquote real world, they're going to get smacked in the face because the real world doesn't care about their need for an accommodation because they have anxiety. Um, and it pains me to say that, but it is, I think, largely the truth. Yeah, I would agree. And I, I think that, you know, I, I lived in California and on a, on a certain moon – there's these grunion that would run. These fish would run up on the beach. And at first, if you went there too early, there'd only be one or two. And if you took those two fish, then the rest of them wouldn't come up. And I kind of see what's happening with people graduating, whether it's in different parts of life or in education or moving forward in life. Like the first grunion, like the, the first kids that graduated that have been accommodated are like these first grunion. And they went up there and you could see the the system failing because these fish are unable to make it to the shore. And I, I, I kind of see what you're yeah. saying as far as, look, they're, they're coming out and society isn't working in the way that it was set up to work because it's set up as a meritocracy. The best people should be able to be leading the best corporations so we have right. the best ideas and the best way to take care of the people below us. And we've gotten away from that in a, in a lot of ways, but yeah. I am hopeful. I'm hopeful because I think that opens up the door for the people who may not have graduated from the best universities. Mm -hmm. You know, when you have the people on the ground floor that are like, hey, the emperor's got no clothes on. Man, yeah. Did you guys see that? Yeah. Like, I think that that's coming. And no, I, 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 yeah. I, I agree. I think you're right. I mean, I mean, one of the issues is just that as a culture, um, it is it is the way of, of America to be reactive. Right. And so we react to things. So, for example, with the issue of accommodations for, for students, you know, we were all the way on one side of the pendulum and we have reacted by swinging the pendulum all the way to the other side. Really, what we need is a medium. I mean, we, we, we've done the same thing with so many other issues, gender issues, race. Right. I mean, a lot of, you know, so we, we react and then there becomes a, a, a degree of overcompensation. And, um, and I think, I don't speak for anybody, but I think that most folks who are in the situation where they are receiving accommodations for whatever reason would prefer that the, the pendulum be in the middle mm -hmm. and not swung all the way in their, in their supposed favor. Because the, the thing is that I don't think we're doing them any favors by doing that. Um, you know, uh, we, we, we coined a new name for this generation yesterday, and I I get I, I, I to go on and trademark it, so someone will steal it for me. But um, we're calling them Gen Ac, as in Gen Acronym, right? There's an acronym for everything with this generation. LGBTQ, ADHD, ADD, A, you know. It's all acronyms, and that's the way that they have come to, in many ways, um, identify themselves. Mm. And I think that it, it, it makes me think of the distinction, which we've talked about before, between 
let's say, um, Freud and Jung. Let's talk about modern psychology, mm -hmm. right? And the, the way that that modern psychology, and I'm and I'm speaking as a non-psychologist at a thirty thousand foot view here. So, but as psychology today tends to want to pigeonhole people, right? So you look at the DSM, the mm -hmm. Diagnostic Manual, and it it pigeonholes people with a with a diagnosis, right? Um, and and that's what Freud did, right? Freud, it was it was you know you you had this experience. And that means this about you, and you get labeled with that, and that's it. Um, and the, the the reason why I am, am a, a much um, more enthusiastic subscriber to to Carl Jung is because Jung will admit, okay, yeah, maybe there's a problem, but you can fix it. Yeah. Um, which, whereas with with somebody like Freud, who of course Jung broke away from. Um, it was much more of this is the diagnosis and you're labeled with that then and you become sort of paralyzed in it. Um, and it becomes, as, as Freud himself would refer to as, you know, self-fulfilling prophecy then, yep. right? Um, whereas if, if you're given the, the power, um, if you are empowered to change your situation, then that kind of a label is not a sentence. It is just a, a temporary identifier that eventually you might be able to shake off. And, and I, I'm not talking about folks who are experiencing pathological issues, chemical issues. You know, I, I'm talking about this trend that we have towards everyone gets a label and as a result is accommodated in some way. Um, and I see it with my students. It's, it's, uh, it's a frightening trend. And the, 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 the oversharing of personal um, issues. And again, again, this may be the result of social media, right? Where the, 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 this sort of the, the, the barrier, the wall that separated, you know, the personal from the public has really kind of just been decimated. And, um, you know, we see it with, with celebrity, right? I mean, we know everything about these people, even if we don't want to. Yeah. Um, it's, 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 it's a, I think it's a disturbing trend. I don't know. What, what do you think, George? Well, first off, it's a great question. I'm glad you brought it up. I happen to have a copy of the DSM uh, yes, here yeah. that I, I, and I like to read it for, <laughs> for pleasure. You know, a little bit. I know it sounds crazy, it's it's it is parts of it are quite entertaining, and I think you have the original copy that was written in the Middle Ages that you keep on your nightstand. <laughs> yes, yes, the Anatomy of Melancholy, which is is written in the 16th century by Robert Burton, right? And uh, supposedly was uh, was going to give you the reason, every reason you could imagine for why someone might be depressed. Right, um, right. And Samuel Johnson kept it on his nightstand and and used to read it. You're correct. But see. It isn't like, and it gets bigger. It's almost a thousand pages. And what it what gets it reminds bigger every me of, time they come out yeah, with a new one. Yeah. This is like you you remember this, and some of our listeners will. This is like the Sears catalog. When I was little, you get the Sears catalog and circle mm -hmm. the stuff. This is a Sears catalog for diseases that you can have. And if you're really good and you're a psychologist, you can put products into this catalog. Oh and yeah. Give them to people, you know. Yeah. But it doesn't say things about the individual. I think it speaks volumes of our society. It's not the yeah. individual that's sick. It's the society that's sick. And it's desperately trying to find ways to blame the person 
instead of the system. And I think what we're seeing, whether it's the kids graduating, whether it's the acronyms, whether it's social media, I believe that we're seeing the breakdown, not only of society, but this idea of uh, authority. Like we've, it used to be in America, you would challenge authority. Mm -hmm. You would go to school and you would challenge the professor and there would be this rigorous debate. And somewhere along the line, that was kind of pushed out for all of a sudden the person that wanted to debate that person was a, you know, that guy has ADD. That guy wants to interrupt the class. That's a problem. Hey, you can't interrupt the class. Mm -hmm. What if it doesn't make sense? Then you should interrupt the class. And so if we look back, we can begin to see, I I think that, that we can begin to see the symptoms taking place in society, but rather than just like everything else in society, rather than solve the problem, we mask the symptom, whether it's big pharma whether it's big business or whether it's the DSM, what we're seeing is our inability to face the fact that we have big problems and we don't know the answer. So no, you're absolutely right. Pigeonhole you're absolutely people. right. I mean, <laughs> and it is the systemic problem. Yeah. Um, and it is, it is, I think, um, a somewhat uniquely Western problem. Mm. I mean, it is a, it is a difference in approach in the West and the East about how we deal with those kinds of issues. And um, again, you know, in the West, we are mostly reactive. Um, we're not proactive about very much. Um, and we look for scapegoats, right? So as you say, you know, so if we something's wrong with society, well, we're looking for an individual to peg that on, yeah. to, to, to make them the scapegoat. Um, and, and we see that a lot um, right now. I mean, you know, just in the last week, I mean, I, I, I've only been reading about it peripherally because um, he, he kind of turns my stomach. But Tucker Carlson being fired from Fox. I mean, there are claims that, you know, it, it, they had to have a scapegoat for the Dominion thing. Yep. And he's yep. the scapegoat. Sure. Um, I don't know if that's actually true or not, but I mean, it, it certainly uh, seems to make sense. And we, we see that with with everything. I mean, if, if a system is broken rather than rebuilding or, or or building the new a new system that's better we put a band-aid on it and and we send somebody off into the sorry into the um wilderness like a scapegoat with the, the sins of the culture on their on their head i mean that's where that concept comes from in the old testament right yeah yeah it's um you know i heard a story i think it's relevant i would love to share it with you it's this <clears throat> there's this general in this war-torn part of, I don't know, some fantasy world. Let's say there's this really crazy general and he has gone on a killing spree and he's moving from town to town conquering. And the biggest enemy that he seems to to come in contact with as he's conquering the the land is the religious leaders. And he, he is making it known that he will have zero tolerance for these religious leaders in these towns and so he's he's violently slaughtering them and he moves his army into the next town and he meets with the leaders and he says and the, the leaders of the town say oh great general your your reputation precedes you and all of the religious monks have fled off to the mountain hillside except for one and the general's in in sin what do you mean there's one left oh he's in the ashram and he's he's just sitting in there waiting General grabs his sword and he walks into the ashram and opens the door and there's the monk standing there. And he the, the general walks up really close to him and he gets in his face and he's just so angry and he looks at that monk and he says, don't you know who I am? 
I could take my sword and run it through your belly in the blink of an eye. And the monk just says, oh, and don't you know who I am? I'm the guy who could have your, so, your sword run through my belly without blinking an eye. And it's this idea of like, yeah, the, the, the system, the people that are in here threatening us, that are telling us all these things that are allowing us to live in fear, they are they need to be met on the other side by someone who isn't living in fear, who understands like, yeah, you can do that. It doesn't matter. Like, And I think that that's where we are. I think we're on the cusp, uh, David, of a cultural revolution. You can see it in the in the inner city, people rioting. You mm -hmm. can see it in France. You can see it in Germany. Yeah. It's yeah. it's if we take a look everywhere else, what's happening in other countries is happening in this country, but we're in it, so we don't see it. Yeah, that may be true. I mean, that story reminds me, of course, of the standoff in Tiananmen Square many years ago. There right? you go. Yes, the, the, that one student standing in front of the tanks right. and that iconic photograph. Um, I, I, you know, I, I think part of our problem is, and you alluded to it earlier. In, in, in talking about, you know, a meritocracy, um, we are so focused and so concerned that we are a democracy and the greatest democracy that ever existed. And I think we've lost what that really means in many ways. Um, and people don't understand what that actually means. Um, they think it just means, you know, one person, one vote. Everybody's equal. Not really. Um, not really. I mean, if you go back and you read Plato about this, I mean, you know, he he wasn't saying, you know, one everybody gets a vote. Um, he was saying that, you know, we should take the people who are the smartest and make them the people who are in charge. Um, there was a, it's just a different attitude. And, you know, I, I had a, a, a quote unquote debate on Facebook the other day, unfortunately, with a former student of mine who I have a lot of respect for. But we think very differently on the issue of guns. Um, and, uh, you know, I, 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 I mean, it was a very sane and calm dis discussion and exchange. And I finally said, you know, ultimately, we're going to have to agree to disagree because you're not going to convince me. I'm not going to convince you. Um, but there is just such a different point of view in our country when it comes to certain very polarized issues. And that's where I'm worried that we're so far apart. And I and, and and to be honest, I mean, you know, we don't usually talk politics. I'm I'm horrified at what's going on with this next election. I mean, I mean, I am a Democrat. I will vote for Joe Biden again if he's the Democratic nominee. The man should not be running for re-election. And the fact that the best that we can do in our country is Joe Biden against Donald Trump again doesn't say a whole hell of a lot about who we are it really doesn't yeah i don't understand that like that there's <clears throat> that's not the best we can do that's like the least we can do we're doing the least amount possible <laughs> and i don't understand it because i mean it's not as if we don't have right people active in in the political realm um and good people but i i i don't know how we come to the conclusion that you know these are the two representatives of the two opposing parties. This and and you know and su supposedly the best that they have. Um, I, I just I just don't get that. I mean, it's it it baffles me. Um, yeah, I think it begs the question: the best for who? Like, who are well, they the true, best for? <laughs> true. Yeah, true. 
Um, you know, I mean, you know, it, it, we've talked often about, you know, the, 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 the incredible um, damage, I think, that's been done to our country by a, by a, a capitalist system that's gone mm. berserk. Yeah. Um, and it really has. I, I, I was watching um, John Oliver last night. I don't know if you watch him. Um, his show from Sunday night was on cryptocurrency. And, um, you know, something which I, I still don't understand cryptocurrency. I've tried. I don't understand it. And um, he just went through. I mean, it was just so incredibly damning of these, you know, incredibly wealthy individuals who want to get involved in that just so basically they can make more money. Mm. Um, I mean, the drive. And, and I mean, I talk about this in my book on the seven deadly sins of Reed, right? I mean, the yeah. drive to just have more and more and more, nothing is enough. I just, I just don't understand that. I mean, you know, yes, I want to be comfortable. Um, you know, luckily I think, I think I am at the moment. Um, I have to ask my wife, she does the checkbook. <laughs> um, but it, it this, this idea that just, you know, I, I run into students who are majoring in business and you talk to them and you say, well, what do you want to do when you graduate? And basically their only response is to make money, to, to, to do something and make money. Um, they have no passion about anything mm -hmm. other than making money. And I think that's just, it's horrifying. Um, I don't understand it personally. Um, but I think it's, it's just incredibly dangerous because it will it potentially just sap the soul out of the culture. Right. If that's the only thing that drives people is making money and you don't have a passion for anything. You know, I mean, I'll, I'll run into kids. They'll say, you know, well, I, I, I'm an entrepreneurship major. And I say, oh, well, what do you want to do? Well, I'm going to open up a big company. You know, oh, what are you going to what are you going to sell? Don't know. You know, they're just going <laughs> to be an entrepreneur. Um, and and I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't get it. I'm not a business person. Obviously, I'm in the humanities. I never never really got that that world but um you know both of my, my my grandfather and my and my father were were in the the, the sales slash retail world and so you know they 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 did what they did but um they had a passion for it i mean my my grandfather mm -hmm. retired as the as the head fur buyer for gimbos um back when you know fur was um more okay than it is now to be sure um, but he had worked his way up. He didn't go to college. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he I, I believe he was a high school graduate. I'm not even sure of that. Um, you know, my father graduated from high school and worked his way up in, in the retail world and eventually um, had his own one man company and, and sold textile designs. Um, you know, so that they, my point is that they understood something about business, right? but making money wasn't the, the end. It wasn't the be all end all of, of their existence, which it seems to be with many of these kids that I run into. Um, you know, I mean, I, I want to run into the kid who says, I want to, you know, I want to go into publishing or I want to work for an NGO yeah. or I want to do public policy. You know, give me something that you can that I can see that you're you're sinking your teeth into. Yeah, at least a vision, like I to, to yeah. have money or like to have more. That's so empty. You know, you need the. I, oh gosh, just a great without a vision, the people will perish. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, 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 I almost think that 
you know, I, I mean, I, I, I teach the museum studies courses here. Right. Right. So um, my students for the spring semester, they, they curate an exhibition um, and they, they just did their exhibition for the spring. It's up now here in the library. And as part of that project, they're divided up into, into different sort of teams committees mm -hmm. responsible for various right. things. And one of the things that they have to do is they have to come up with a mission statement, but they also have to come up with a value statement. Right. So the mission statement is, you know, what is your mission? What are you what are you out to do? But the value statement is almost more important. It's what do you value? Mm. And I think for a lot of um, folks in general, but, I, you know, because I work in higher ed, a lot of students that I run into, I would love to ask them to, you know, write me a value statement. What do you value? Um, because I, and it's part of the vision. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I it, we we. we we do that in in certain settings. So, I mean, I, I do consulting in education with um, high schools. And sometimes I'll go into a department who um, have been going through a rough time for whatever reason and kind of need a, a reset. And almost the first thing that I say to them is, you know, what's your mission statement? You don't have one? We got to write one. Um, and then what's your value statement? Because we can't do anything until you've set those two things. Because I have no idea what you want. What do you want to be? Who are you now? What do you value? What's important? That's why you're an amazing teacher. And I, I'm, I'm oh, thankful okay. for the kids that get to go and, and be part of that. You know, if I, if I take the wheel and I, I jerk it hard to the right over here, and we, we just re-shine a light G on your book. Given who we are, George, you might jerk it hard to the left. <laughs> more appropriate, That's, true. Isn't it? That's a great point. That's a great point. <laughs> Well, it depends on what time we're in because the left is the right, the right true. is the left. That's true right? enough, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so let's say we, we revisit for a moment this idea of the seven deadly sins and we look mm. back to the Renaissance. You know, when we took spirituality, when we took God out of the equation, you know, it, it seems to me that now we've taken value out of the equation. Is that something, is that just a continuation of taking spirituality it, away it is. from that? But let's not confuse okay. God and spirituality because yes, you can be well spiritual well and done. not believe in God. Right? Well done. Yes. And so, you know, I think that what's happened is as established slash organized religion has um, lessened in its importance in people's lives, mm -hmm. there's a corresponding rise for some folks in spirituality. Mm -hmm. For others, it left them empty. And that's the, those are the folks that we're worried about, right? Um, because those are the folks that don't seem to have those values and, um, and haven't thought about them. Mm -hmm. I think you really need to think about these things. Yeah. You know, what are your values? Um, you know, what are your values as an individual? What are your values as, for your family? Um, what are you trying to teach your kids? That kind of thing. To think about the things that you value. And um, it's definitely the, 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 the decline in organized religion in, in America in particular has contributed to that, but I don't want to chalk it all up to organized religion because right. there are so many problems there. Um, right. You know, and, and, and certainly there are lots of folks who are still, you know, devout believers in one organized system or another who themselves probably couldn't tell you about their values. Um, and so, you know, that's why it, I think it's, it's, 
I, I'm never disturbed when I see those um, surveys of the, the 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 percentage of Americans who don't believe in God or don't believe. You know, it's like okay, but what what do they believe in? Right, right, right. Tell me what they do believe in, um, because you got to believe in something. Um, and if you believe in nothing but, as we were saying a minute ago, making money, okay, that's what you believe in. But you know, let's talk about that then. What does that mean your values are? Um, yeah. And, and, and where is that going to get you in the long run? Right. I mean, it makes me think of the 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 old medieval tale um, told, amongst other places, in, in Chaucer's Canterbury Tales and the Partner's Tale about the three friends who find all that money by the tree. It was retold years later in, in the Treasure of the Sierra Madre in the, the Bogart film. Right. They find all this money by the tree and they decide they're going to they're going to split it up. They'll come back at night and split it up and then they'll 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 leave. And, you know, they end up all killing, poisoning each other so that they can get more money. And it ends up nobody wins. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, it, it again, watching that John Oliver episode about cryptocurrency, it seems like nobody's winning. <laughs> um, you know, there have been a lot of losers. Uh, and and. I don't see anybody that's coming out on top when it comes to that. And as I say, I plead complete ignorance. I have tried to read about it and I still don't understand what cryptocurrency is. Um, <laughs> if maybe a listener can pipe in in the comments and explain it to me. I'd love it. But um, I just, I just don't understand it. It seems to me from what I, the, the very little that I get, it's just about making more money. Hmm. I think that this, this puts an interesting bow on, or at least kind of ties things together in the idea that, you know, money and value should be connected. But when people don't have values, money's worthless. You know what I mean by that? Like, you can have all the money in the world, but if you don't value yourself, if you don't right. value your relationships, yeah. then really money is just going to be the poison in the Canterbury tale. Like, what are you doing? You're just poisoning yeah. people. Same with crypto. Like, when I see crypto, I see the promise of a peer-to-peer exchange in value, you know, without some sort of centralized mm-hmm. group of individuals that decide, hey, I want 30% of that exchange right, right. there. Well, can I say what you do with it? No, you can't. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, well, then what are we doing? You know, and maybe this crack in the foundation, maybe this this period of valueless exchanges is exactly what we need to come to so that we can begin to reteach our spiritual nature to have values mm-hmm. to redefine money to to read maybe that's what we're going through right now. well look at the resurgence in, in in bartering yeah which we've seen in the last you know what 20 years in this country um, a real resurgence in bartering especially when it comes to the neighborhood levels Mm-hmm. Right. Neighborhoods, which um, there's a word for it. And I can't uh, forgive me. I can't remember what it is, but there's a, it's actually a system where you've got a neighborhood. And basically, there's no reason why everyone on the block needs to own a lawnmower. We <laughs> buy one lawnmower and right. we share it. There's no reason for everybody to have their own. You know, it's it's, it's more of that idea. And it is more communal based, right. um, which is, you know, certainly a problem for for our country because we've moved away from the whole concept of neighborhoods. Right. Um, I mean, I live in what I would consider a neighborhood, and I, I think I, I mean, I may, I maybe know four or five people on my block, and when I say no, I mean to wave to them. Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't even know their names, and I've lived here for years. <clears throat> um, 
you know, it's it just the, the whole concept of a neighborhood has changed so significantly. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I mean, that's what happens, right? I mean, urban planning, sociology, et cetera, et cetera. That's, that, that's what happens. But there, boy, there was something too. I mean, I grew up in, in the Bronx in New York and there was something to the fact that, you know, I, I lived in a neighborhood. Um, yeah. I knew everybody who lived in my apartment building. Yeah. Um, and you just, you don't really have that much anymore. Um, and I think that that's part of the, the values question, right? What do you value? If I value being, you know, a good neighbor, for lack of another way of putting it, you know, that means I'm going to, you know, get to know the folks who live in my neighborhood and, and watch after, after them and after, after everything that is around me. And, um, I'm not, I'm not sure that that's happening in a lot of situations anymore. Um, you know, and, and certainly COVID and, and, and just our, our isolating, the isolating nature of, of the internet. And, you know, it just, it has really separated us and, um, and pulled us apart from each other. I mean, now granted, it also has joined people. Right. I'm sitting here in Virginia. You're in Hawaii. We would never have known each other otherwise <laughs> without the Internet. So great. Fantastic. But as is the case with so many of these kinds of situations, it really can't be an either or. It's both. Mm. Right. You need both. And you need to find balance. Right. We're back with the pendulum. Right. It needs yeah. to be the, the middle <clears throat> way, as as the medieval mystics would call it. Right. Mm. Um, and and we have a hard time with the middle way because we're so damn reactive, you know, it's yeah. this way or that way it's black or white. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know what the solution to that is. I mean, I'm hoping that you're right with your, your optimism about the, the time and, and things changing and, and people coming together. Um, it's, it, it, it's going to be an interesting year and a half until the, the, the next presidential election to be sure. Um, you know, the last uh, six or seven years have been pretty unpleasant for a lot of people. Um, and, uh, you know, on both sides of the aisle, I think. Yeah. And so, it, you know, it, 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 it's, you know, I, I heard a woman speaking this morning. I was watching CNN and they interviewed a woman who's a small business owner. And um, her, her take on it was very interesting. A young woman. And um, I, she didn't identify party-wise, um, but she said, you know, the choices between Biden and and Trump, from her perspective, were both too extreme. She said they mm. were both too extreme. So we need somebody who's more moderate. And I thought that was an interesting look because, of course, you know, as a Democrat, you know, I, I don't see Biden as as that extreme, but. Um, you know, I, I can understand how someone who may be sitting on the other side would look at it that way. Right, right. Um, but I mean, you know, if you think about it, I mean, historically, I mean, when's the last time that we had a moderate government in place? It's been so divided for so long that, you know, there there are many people who can't even remember what that looked like. Yeah, it almost seems like it <clears throat> It should be easier than ever for someone to come in. When you start hearing people on both sides talking, we need a moderate. Like, Yeah, you know, yeah and, and when I, both sides yeah. are complaining that, you know, it's just I, 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 I can't imagine that anybody on either side is jumping up and down about either one of these candidates. 
Yeah. Um, for a variety of reasons, you know, and it's just, uh, I, I don't know. It's crazy. I mean, we've got so many up and comers. Where are they? Why aren't they stepping up? Um, and, and of course, you know, that's been a discussion in the political world for decades because, you know, and one of the complaints is, well, because you're, you know, your, your life is raked over the coals, you know, you're just, it, it's, the media is brutal. Right. Um, and I, I don't know, maybe that, maybe that's the case. I don't know. Um, and, and that's why people are hesitant to, to, to jump in. Um, I mean, it's certainly true. Um, the way that, the way that they're, they're every movement is is just put under the microscope um but again I, I i have to think that some of that is a function of the the 24 7 media cycle that we live in now um because we didn't have that before we had 24 7 news and the internet um it wasn't about looking at every little minute aspect of someone's life I mean, sure, you know, we had, I mean, you know, everybody remembers the John Edwards fiasco and, you know, and, and then there was back in with, with, uh, you know, Humphrey and Muskie. I mean, it, it, you know, we, yeah, that happened, but it just seems now that, um, and I was thinking about this this morning because it's funny when I was growing up, if someone was a quote unquote celebrity, that was a pretty small club. And if someone's name was mentioned, you know, it's like you knew who they were. And so I was I was watching TV this morning before I left the house to come to work, and they ran an ad for some reality show that's coming on, and they listed four people who were like the stars of this reality show. Yeah. <laughs> so these are supposed celebrities in our culture. The first two were Hulk Hogan and Dennis Rodman. Yeah. The second two, I can't even tell you who they were because I've never heard of them. And it just, it struck me while I was sitting there. I was like, I can remember when I was younger. It's like, if they mentioned somebody, I knew who they were, mm -hmm. you know? And you know, Warhol was right, right? I mean, everyone's going to be famous for 15 minutes in the future. And he he, he was right. This is, that's what's happened. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I imagine both he and Marshall McLuhan are probably rolling over in their graves, you know? Um, it would be really, it would be, incredibly interesting to see what the two of them would have to say about the situation today. Wasn't it? Oh, I think McLuhan was right on the money when he said that <clears throat> human beings are the sex organs of the machines. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I would love to talk to that guy. Fascinating. You know, but on, on that same level, when we look at government, when we look at democracy, when we look at the, the pendulum swinging <clears throat> and where are the up and comers and celebrities, I, I, I see on one hand, you know, when I talk to my dad, who's my dad watches Fox News all day. My mm -hmm. mom watches uh, something else all day. And it's like I listen to them both. And even though they have different enemies, like they, it's the exact same thing. And like I, I just I, yeah. what I what I see in some ways is this other system that's slowly becoming less relevant. And it, it in some ways it is our government. In some ways it is the financial world. It is the job market. It is these legacy companies. And on this new green emerging ideas of parallel economies, I see this thing called the creator economy. Mm -hmm. And I see kids that are nine or 10 that have their own channel and a million yeah. followers. 
And I see, is this the resume of the future when you get to be 18? Is someone going to say to you, what have you done? Well, I have this channel. I've <laughs> yeah. got this thing. Yeah. You know, and, and you can see the end of these legacy middlemen where it used to be you needed K Street, you need a whole advertising team to get this product out. But now right. you just go give this thing to a, a young kid and put on a TikTok channel. And you've, yeah. you've, yeah. you've decentralized that. You've moved this entire organization from, you know, 150 people with you're paying their health care, you're paying mm -hmm. their wages, you're paying salary, gone. In some ways, it's it's scary. It's 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 uh, momentous. It's gigantic because you're moving so quickly. But let me ask you this: What is the relationship? Because I, I think we're seeing a lot of fear here on both sides. What do you think is the relationship between fear and values? And do, can those two things coexist? It's an interesting question because I think, I mean, at heart, what we're kind of agreeing with is we have a system that either doesn't work or is broken or both. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so what does that mean to a person's values? I mean, you're talking to someone who growing up as a kid, quite seriously, my goal was to be president. Yeah. Um, I wanted to, I was going to go to college for political science and I was going to go to law school because I figured if you're going to be a politician, you got to be a lawyer. That made sense to me. And um, that that was what I intended to do. And um what happened was um, a year and a half of political science classes, which bored me to tears. Sorry, <laughs> political scientists in the group. Um, and then interning at a law firm in New York City after my freshman year, the summer after my freshman year, and saying, no way in hell I'm doing this. Um, because what I realized was I came to the conclusion that I could accomplish more outside of the system. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of what you're getting at when you're talking about these kids and, you know, podcasting and, you know, it, it, it's 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 getting at what it is that you see as va of value working outside of the system yes. because the system just doesn't work. And you were and you did it first, like you like if you just think about that, if we. You were going to be president because you want to change the world. You want right. to make it better. And then you like, look, you are actually doing that now. You had to well, find a way to do it without it. Like without a doubt. No, without a doubt. I, I listen to the words you use. I see the passion in your eyes. I see you making value statements with kids coming into school. You're having a radical effect on the future of this world. And I, I love it. But, that, but you did it first. The point I'm making is, look, you, you did what your students are doing. You, you have to work mm -hmm. outside this narrow bounds. Right. And, and right. as that system gets old, it, it becomes more authoritative and it, it, it doesn't work. I don't care if it doesn't work, do it the way I said, but yeah. it doesn't work. I do it yeah. anyway. Okay, yeah. I mean, at I, some I, point, right? I, I've always said, I mean, <laughs> it, at least in my world in higher ed, the saddest phrase you could tell say is that's the way we've always done it. Um, <laughs> and it's funny because I, 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 I had an interview for a Dean's position several years ago at a, at a campus and um, I walked into the president's office to meet with the president and all the, the, the higher ups, the VPs. And the provost, I think, got up to, to, to shake my hand and he had a button on his uh, sport jacket that said, that's the way we've always done it. I had a big red line through it. And I said, that's a great button. 
Yeah. And it was a plant because that was going to be his that was his question in the interview was, what does this say to you? Um, and, and to me, that's just, you know, if, if you say regardless of what we're talking about, um, you know, we do it that way because that's the way we've always done it. My answer is always, well, that's the best reason to change it then. Um, <laughs> because, uh, you know, if that's the way we've always done it. Right. And if that's the, your response, it means that you're not open to thinking about making it better. Yeah. You're just saying that's the way we do it, mm -hmm. you know, good or bad. That's the way we do it. And I just think that that attitude has really been embraced by um, so many in our in our government structure. Right. I mean, looking at the way that that I mean, you know, mm -hmm. take one example. Right. Look at look yeah. at the 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 Internal Revenue Service and the and the tax code, mm -hmm. which I mean, I don't know how many pages it is now. It's something ridiculous. Right. Right. And people always say, you know, oh, they just they need that. This is crazy. They need to just chuck it and start from scratch. But they're never going to do that because mm -hmm. that's not the way we do things. Right. We're just going to expand it and make it make it even bigger. Yeah. Um, and 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 even more difficult to understand, like the DSM five or I think we're up to six now, right? Yeah. You know, we keep adding things. Um, yeah. Now, granted, with the DSM, they do take things out occasionally. Um, but with the tax code, I mean, it's so complicated, no one can understand it. Um, so what the hell use is that? You know, and, and you talk about, you know, a way of exerting authority and power. I mean, that's what that is, right? Yeah. It's a few absolutely. people who were able to interpret that freaking thing along with, you know, whatever accountants are, are able to, to interpret it. Um, they've got all the power then because it, it, it reminds me of the, the priests and the, and the church in the Middle Ages, right? The people yeah. couldn't read the Bible because they couldn't read Latin. You had to rely on the priest to read it to you and inter interpret it for you. Mm -hmm. He had all the power and the church had all the power. So this gives the government the power, right? Yeah. Um, because, you know, I'm just some poor schnook. <clears throat> what do I know? I can't read the tax code. Um, it doesn't make any sense to me. Um, and I think we we see that with so many things, not just related to the tax code, but even just, just legal um, issues in general. I mean, you try to look up, you know, laws about some of these things and I'll, it's just it's it's like it's written in another language and it makes no sense um and and i just you know i i i i don't belittle anyone for their 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 passion and their vocation but we need to to reset on some of these things and decide you know what again you know let's go values again you know what are our values what do we value um, and so, you know, uh, so much discussion in the, in the media for forever, it seems about taxing, you know, the very wealthy, um, that's a values issue. Yep. You know, it's not an economic issue. That's a values issue. And we, we keep treating it like an economic issue, right? Let's talk about it on CNBC. No, <laughs> Right. Let's talk about it at the Institute for Advanced Study in Princeton and talk about it as a philosophical and a values issue, because that's really what it is. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. It's a it's a giant value slash control mechanism where, you know, there, there was an interesting <clears throat> you probably know this more than me. There's and I forgot who said it, but there's this idea that you can tell who is in power. By the tallest building and it used to be the castle was the tallest yes. building, and then it was the church and now it's the the bank building yeah <laughs> and they said in yeah. in i think in um 
in Utah, you could see it all in one city, you know, boom, boom, boom. Yeah. Like it's, it's interesting to think about the architecture. Yeah. The way we build cities is the way we build the ideas in our mind, which is the way we interact with each other. Right. Absolutely. I mean, mm -hmm. it, it, a lot of it comes out of, um, you know, Jane Jacobs and, and mm -hmm. her urban studies stuff. Um, but if you, you know, and I think I mentioned this in, 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 in the book as well, that as you say, I mean, the middle ages, you know, the church was at the center of the town. The cathedral was at the center of the town and usually the highest building. And now we've replaced that. And, um, you know, what is at the center of most, most communities? It's, it's the commercial district. Mm -hmm. Um, it's commerce that now we worship, yeah. um, you know, so much so that, you know, look at, 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 buildings like the, the the now gone World Trade Center, right? Or even the, the current World Trade Center, right? And we build these huge monoliths, which are basically, you know, churches to, to greed, to making money. So this brings up an interesting point. So here in, um, <clears throat> in on Oahu, there's this giant mall, and it's called Ala Moana, and it has all the Jimmy Choo and the, the designer brands, mm. and it has Tiffany. It has all of these incredible the designer brands, yeah. all the boutiques, and they're, they're giant, right? You can go in on a private viewing and get a glass of champagne mm -hmm. and buy some shoes, whatever. It's, it's all there, and it's, it is, it's a masterpiece. It's not very tall, but it's really long. Sure. And if, if we take the idea that the largest, most expensive buildings seem to be the idols that we worship, you know, can we change it by when I go to the mall now, there's a lot less stores and there's a yeah. lot more buying experience. For example, there's these breakout rooms that are popping up in places. Mm -hmm. There are these maker labs that are happening yeah. there. Is that the evolution of what we are beginning to worship or beginning to want are we beginning to see the primacy of experience take the place of the ideas of authority the ideas of of commercialization is, is that possible yeah. I, I i i certainly hope so um i mean i see <laughs> Me what too. you're saying and i think that you know there are more of these places that are popping up that focus on experiences whether it's you know yes. the paint and sip yes. places where you go and yes. paint and have a glass yep. of wine or these maker spaces that have opened yes. up yep. um so i think you're right uh, you know or the the even the um the escape rooms right i mean that's about experience mm -hmm. um so yeah i think to some degree you're you're right it's just um somebody's going to figure out how to monetize it aren't they um, because that's what we do. And that, yeah. and, 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 and usually when that happens, the original idea gets bastardized and ruined. Mm. And they go, well, that's not really what we were after, and it's mm -hmm. like, you know, but it gets taken over. Um, and I think that's happened with a lot of, of, of what we've experienced just in, in, in our history, right. Is the ways in which some new experience is, uh, is created. And then someone comes in and figures out how to make money off of it. And it just gets uh, completely changed. I mean, let, let, let's think about the earliest days of the Internet. Mm -hmm. I mean, the Internet was supposed to be all about democratization. Right, right. You know, and, and you know, there's been a movement for, what, 15 years at least now to have uh, Internet access uh, reclassified in this country as a utility. Mm -hmm. So that everyone would have equal access to it the same way we do to electricity and running water. Uh, because it's there's still 
large pockets in this country where people have no internet access for one reason or another, whether it's economic or, or just, uh, you know, geographic, but the ways in which it became monetized, Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I mean, what are we paying a month to be able to be on the internet? It's it, it, we're paying for access and, you know, again, if it's reclassified as a utility, that will all change. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and and I would, I would, I think that there's a distinction where it seems like the consolidation of the experiences is what drives the commercialization. Because if you and I set up different escape rooms, people can come to ours and we can both make money and we can Mm -hmm. have different experiences. But when, you know, the Facebook comes in and says, okay, I'm going to buy up yours. I'm going to buy up yours. And we're going to use all the same stuff because it's going to be better that way. Yeah. You know, you're stealing the experience and and cheapening it. Well, that's what happens with a lot of corporate America. A lot of it. That's the only way they grow. These little, you know, quote unquote, mom and pop places, which get bought out. Right. And get sucked into a bigger corporate kind of structure. Um, It's certainly what happened to the to the the independent bookstore industry. Yes. It's, It's trying to make a comeback the valiant come try but i don't know if it's going to work um but you know i mean it, it, and it used to be that w- when i had my bookstore in the 80s the, the thing that we lamented was borders and barnes and noble <laughs> you know the big those now of yeah. course it's amazon right yeah yeah um and so it, it it's just uh and and again that's a values thing too right i mean if you value going into a bookstore and looking around and the serendipity of finding something that you didn't actually go in there for, or just to go into a bookstore, just to browse. I mean, you're not getting that experience on Amazon. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, if you value that, you have to show that you value it. And, you know, because of, of our uh, economic structure that, that means, you know, putting your money where your mouth is. Right. Um, it's, it's all well and good. I mean, we've got a, a, a local vegan restaurant here, which we frequent, uh, it's a bakery, um, wonderful bakery, but she has struggled and she struggled through COVID. And, uh, just recently she started going to farmer's markets on the weekend and she's doing great with the farmer's markets. Mm. Um, but she just announced last week that she's cutting her store hours mm. because she, she just, she can't do it. Um, you know, the store is just not this, the physical one location. She can't keep it open. Um, so she's cutting down the hours and, uh, you know, but she's assured everybody that she's still going to do the farmer's markets and be strong there. But I, I think, you know, the, the, the structure of, and, and part of the reason why you walk through the malls these days, which themselves are dying, yeah. but you know, and there's so many empty spaces is the rents are just outrageous who can pay that who can afford to pay that and even the big corporate operations are pulling out because they're not willing to pay it um and that's really something you know when 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 a starbucks says you know we're pulling out (laughs) which has happened here we have a mall in norfolk which um is is on its last dying breath i think um just gradually everything has left for one reason or another, but I remember a couple of years ago when Eddie Bauer, which was a, a fairly yeah. large store in that sure. mall, decided that they were going to close, and because they just they couldn't pay the rent, the rent was just too high. 
And I, and again, I, no economist. I don't understand how the owner of that mall is is doing better by having that place be empty rather than lowering the rent. I, I don't get that, but I'm sure it has something to do with losses and and taxes, mm, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. But, I don't get it either. I I don't. It just maybe the fact that they can do better by letting those people go is is a giant problem. <laughs> I think it is. How can that uh, be? How could yeah, that possibly yeah. be? I don't know. I mean, you see all these empty storefronts. Yeah. And 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 the complaint is always, well, the rent's just too high. It's like, well, so why wouldn't you want it rented and just lower right. the rent? But I think there's an economic incentive to not doing that. I don't know. Um, yeah. And that that seems to be a symptom nationwide is these absence of people in commercial buildings. You know, I, I, I don't, there's an interest. I'm sure it would be fascinating to go in and see some of the sociological changes that happened with COVID. Like I'm sure yeah. there's tons of small businesses. People stop going into work. They stop supporting the guy on the corner. Yes. And well, it's in sad spaces, in some ways, right? Yeah. The way that, I mean, office spaces in the larger cities, a lot of these offices are empty. Yeah. Um, because what happened after COVID was these companies figured out that, hey, we can get just as much yeah. done with having our people telecommute. They can work from home. Yeah. We don't have to pay the overhead of having it renting an office. And so there's been a there's a, an ongoing movement to convert a lot of those spaces to um, low income housing in inner cities. We'll see whether or not it pans out. Um, you know, I think, I think it's, it's, it's a movement in some of the larger, larger areas. Um, but I think before, uh, unless the government gets behind it, I don't know if it's going to go anywhere. Yeah. And for me, it's, I'm for working from home. Like if someone can be just as productive, you know, how much time do people spend in traffic? And, and I'm not saying I want the guy who owns a corner store to have tough times, but yeah. You know, isn't it a better quality of life for people if they don't have to, you know, spend a sixth of it or a fifth of it in traffic or spending yeah. money they don't have on a coffee they don't need? <laughs> yes, but maybe. But there's also something to be said, as you and I have, have touched on before, about work-life balance. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. if you're working from home, mm. it's going to be more and more difficult to, to have that separation. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good point. I, I, I don't, I'm, I am bullish on the future. I'm hopeful, and I believe wholeheartedly that we're moving into a world that is not only more beautiful than you imagine, but more beautiful than you can imagine. And I think it comes from challenging authority. I think it comes from having the time to yourself to believe in yourself. And I think people can do it. I, and I, I see the kids in the, in the. Uh, maker economy i see the kids in the in the space that are finding things they're passionate about and explaining them to people they're finding mm -hmm. things they're passionate about and exploring those things and i, I think it, it can be dangerous to the people who have a monopoly on on progress in some ways you know i yeah. i'm bullish on it though I, th I think it's beautiful and i think if we just take a step back and go yes this is crazy but look at this over here and then we pour we pour ourselves into that container of experience the primacy of experience the sharing economy like i i really think that that's the future moving forward mm. 
Yeah, I, I hope so. Um, I hope so. <laughs> I hope you're right. <laughs> I am. I'm totally right. <laughs> we have good people like you that are bringing up and giving kids coming into the space ideas and they're giving them values. And more than that, like I'm glad you shared that story about how you originally thought about going into law school. You tried this, but then you went around and found a way to infiltrate the system and make it better. Because I think that that's what makes you a great teacher is that you're like, yeah, I went down this path. But then I found this little workaround over here. And I think that that is what the next, I think that's what a lot of people can see in you is that like, yeah, look, you're an incredibly compassionate teacher that wants things to be better. And not only do you want them to be better, but you, you've taken that path. You've made those sacrifices and it shows. I'm, I'm happy well, you're out you. there. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're coming up on this hour. Yeah. Before, before I let you go, um, you know, ladies and gentlemen, there's an incredible book called The Seven Deadly Sins that, that was your latest book. I, I love it. We've gone through lots of it together. And I would recommend if people want to live a life worth living, then they should probably check out that book. But you got another book coming up. What what else? Let me why don't you tell me where people can find you and tell me sure. these things you got coming up? Yeah. So my my website is uh David A. Solomon, S-A-L-O-M-O-N um dot com. And um, you can find uh, links to all of my publications, the blog, um, consulting, all my media stuff is there. Um, what have I got coming up? A busy few weeks here with uh, <laughs> end of the semester and, and commencement on, on May 13th. Yes, on May 13th, I will um, read about uh, 700 names at commencement for graduates from about uh, three quarters of our class, a colleague who does the, uh, the other quarter. Um, don't ask me how he gets off with only a quarter and I get three quarters. And then um, two days later, I will go to uh, London with 16 students um, doing a course on uh, museums in London mm. for uh, a little bit more than two weeks. And uh, excited about that. Looking forward to it and um, looking forward to uh, to getting some some culture from overseas. Yeah, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be, I'm, I'm super excited to, to see that. Maybe we can work a show in over there. Are you going to be giving We're going to try to do that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We'll try to do that. Yeah. Are you going to give a speech during commencement, or is it mostly just reading names? No, I just I just stand up there and just read names for five hours. <laughs> and then when I'm done, I don't want to talk to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah, can it's, imagine. It's, it's, it's pretty exhausting. Last year, my voice held out, but just barely. Um, because it's... Uh, it's it's a lot, but but I, I enjoy it. I like doing that and uh, participating in the, the the pomp of the of the ceremony and 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 celebrating um, their commencement and their 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 new beginning. Yeah, well, I'm glad you're doing it, and I'm to all the kids that are that are graduating. Congratulations! The future has never been brighter. If you have the courage to go out and believe in yourself, you can do anything. And I'm I'm so excited for the future because I. I think we have a great group of kids coming in and that's what I got going on for today. So ladies and gentlemen, I love you guys. I'm so stoked you're here with us. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as we did and reach out to David, check out his books, ask him for some consulting and um, pay attention to his blog. My two cents. It's got a lot of good stuff in there. And that's what we got for today. Ladies and gentlemen, aloha. Aloha everyone. 
Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years. Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge. And I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now. And it's been so rewarding to me that I just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.